Well, amen, amen. How are y'all doing this morning? I am just so grateful this morning. First of all, you know, that God saved me. He changed me. He made me a new person. And uh, I, I, just, I just love that, man, because as we were singing those songs today, it just reminded me how amazing and good God is. And about 32 years ago, uh, God saved me, and uh, I've never been the same since. I mean, it just totally turned, changed my life and, and turned it upside down in a huge way. And uh, it's just through all the relationships that I've been able to form with people through the years have been one of the things that has sustained that uh, through the years, and it's just so important. And that's what I want to talk about today is uh, right relationships that glorify God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 today. And if you, have, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the back of the pews there, the Story Bible. I believe that you'll find that on page 813, if I'm not mistaken. And so, and by the way, uh, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take that one home with you. Right, Pastor Jimbo? I'm not facilitating theft or nothing. Okay, just making sure. You can go ahead and take those Bibles home with you. And uh, if this is the first time you've ever been to Redemption Church, I just want to say that uh, Pastor Jimbo will be back next week, so don't let me scare you off. You'll want to come back next week and listen to his preaching. And so just to, uh, you know, as we're continuing on the book of Ephesians, uh, we're going to be looking at, and I, first of all, I just really want to recap a little bit where we've been the last couple of weeks. So just in case you haven't been here for the last week or so, it'll kind of bring you up to date to where we're at today. And so back in chapter 5, do you remember when Paul, he imitated we were supposed to imitate God. He said to imitate God as dear children. And, and so that when people observe our everyday lives, they see a picture of the Father's love for us. And so Paul urges us there to imitate Christ as dear children. And those of you that are, are parents, you know, right, that your kids pretty much imitate everything they see, right? I mean, I remember that back when our kids were little. It's just like whatever they see, that's what they did. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jimbo, as a part of the residency program that uh, I'm here under him, uh, as far as to in a, replant a church, hopefully revitalize a church in the future, uh, he had asked us as a part of that program to go work back with the preschoolers. And when he asked me that, you know, I thought, man, in 32 years, in every area of the church that I've ever served in, I've served in pretty much every area of the church that you can possibly serve in, but I have never, ever worked with little kids, like, ever, okay? And so when he asked that, I was a little bit, bit nervous, you know, and so we got back there, and to be perfectly honest with that very first week, it was so awkward for me. I just kind of stood back in that observation mode, you know. I, you know, I just it's just not, you know, my gifting. And uh, so we were we were in there. And that second week, though, I got I got to say, that second week. And by the way, he made us do it a second two two weeks in a row, both the Bible study hour and the worship service hour. I looked at Steph. I said, "Did we make him mad or something? You know, what what's up with that?" But but that second week we were in there, it was awesome. 
You know, I, I had begun to warm up to the kids and they had warmed up to me and I had memorized all their names and, and we were just having a great time. But I, it reminded me of how those kids imitate pretty much everything that they see. They put a video on the screen and they were singing and, and whatever moves they made on the video, I, was just, I just got a kick at it, man, because whatever they did, they did. And it was just so cute to see that. And so I was reminded of how they imitate pretty much everything. And then Paul tells us in chapter 5 that we're supposed to imitate the Father as dear children and to walk in that love as He has loved us. But then Paul tells us something different. After that, he says to be careful how you walk. He says, be very careful how you walk. Do not walk as unwise, but walk as wise. And then he said to no longer walk in darkness, but to walk in that light of the Lord as children of that light. And then he gives us all these practical illustrations that are just rooted in biblical doctrine and biblical truth. And then he dives into this whole thing about how spirit-filled living affects our relationships and how our spirit-filled living begins to be revealed through our relationships with others and so when the gospel of Jesus Christ when it comes into us and it changes us we now live for an audience of one that we learned back in Ephesians 4 and so we now live for Jesus Christ for the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings the ones we were just got through singing about just a few minutes ago he we we serve the one who changed our lives and our heart and he makes us alive to him and so when it comes to those relationships with our parents with our kids with our spouse with our you know our co-workers or with our employers or, or even with those in the community we no longer are to imitate those worldly standards any longer but we are to imitate the father's standards and obey those commandments and walk in them so what we're going to be seeing today is just what we have been seeing all along in chapter five that there are no relationships when it comes to god that he doesn't care about because right relationships glorify god right relationships glorify god so please if you have your place there in ephesians chapter 6 1 through 9 let's go ahead and look at it as we talk about relationships this morning and if you would as we always do here at redemption if you wouldn't mind would you please stand in honor of reading god's word starting in verse 1 paul writes and he says children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth verse 4 fathers do not exasperate or provoke your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the lord slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey christ Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. Verse 9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and there is no favoritism with him you may be seated would you go ahead and bow your head in a word of prayer as we ask god to bless the reading of his word lord we come to you father god and lord we're just so thankful again for the cross god we we thank you lord that 
By Jesus dying on the cross, it paved the way for us to have the ultimate relationship with you, Father God. So, Lord, my prayer is today that, God, these words in Scripture, God, would echo in our hearts today. And as we leave this place, God, we will take our relationships that you have so sovereignly blessed us with, Father God. And, and Lord, we will learn to love and just point people to you through those relationships, God. So, Lord, would you fill us with your word? Would you fill us with your spirit, God? And, Lord, would you bless our time? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul is specifically addressing four different types of people in our text today. And he begins off, first of all, with children. If you notice, he says in verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents say, Amen, Amen to that. You know, and I think it's important to point out there that uh, the word for children, our word children in the Greek is the word technon. And it's not particularly referring to like little small children or toddlers, but it's actually referring to all children that may be under the roof of their parents. And I just love how Paul here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is addressing children directly. Did you pick up on that? He, he, he says, you know, uh, that children, obey your parents, for this is right. And, and so we see this commandment for children to obey their parents throughout scripture and most famously in the 10 commandments where we see what commandment number five where it says honor your father and mother and so the interesting thing about that commandment number five honor your father and mother is that God wanted us to realize something when he stated that he wanted us to realize that the authority of the and the structure of the family that he had put in place was a God-ordained structure and just like all the other commandments, it wasn't supposed to be violated that children would be submissive to their parents and obey their parents. And as we read this verse, we have to realize that the relationship between children and parents is actually under the relationship with God and that authority that God has given to parents. It, well, it comes from himself, and so we should pay attention to that. So Paul's not talking to parents here. That's what I think is just so interesting about that, at least not yet, but he's talking to children. He's talking, and he said that, you know, this should make children right, feel really special because he's given them a commandment in the Ten Commandments that comes with a blessing. And so we all want a blessing, don't we? And so here's where this thing can get all messed up, though, for kids. Because we all know as parents, right? And I expect there's some more kids to be here. We have a few over there. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, this is where this really gets messed up. There are those times when not obeying your parents is going to be really tempting at some times. And, and you probably have experienced that. I mean, I'm not sure how or why that even happens. But whenever you're doing something that you love to do, maybe it's just hanging out with a friend or maybe it's playing a video game and all of a sudden, man, you, you're just getting on a different level of that game. You know, you, uh, the level you've never even been close before and all of a sudden you hear those words, go clean up your room and all of a sudden, or, or go take out the trash or whatever it is and you go like, oh man. And, and you know, you're, I don't know how or why that happens and I tried to figure this out when I was a kid because I'm pretty sure that in the history of the world, no parent ever told their kid to go clean up the, the room while they were doing homework. No, it's only going to happen when you're doing something that you love and, and enjoy. But see, that's just my point here. Obeying any rule or obeying your parents or your teachers or anyone is always going to be a much easier when it comes at a convenient time or even a convenient place. But here's what I want you guys to see. 
when you obey your parents with a right heart attitude there's a special blessing involved in that that's what he's saying here in fact the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother is the only commandment among the ten commandments that comes with a blessing attached to it and this is what jesus wants from all of us does he not i mean jesus said in luke eleven twenty eight. look what he says but is this that on the screen we have that on screen luke eleven twenty eight. all right because here it is he says but he said what's that next word what blessed okay blessed are those who hear the word of god and what keep it hey we don't want to run by that that word blessed there it's a very important word so but who's jesus talking to there in luke eleven twenty eight? 28 who's he talking to he's talking to all of you guys he's talking to children he's talking to me he's talking to all of us there and so as we look at verses 2 to 3 going back to Ephesians 6 it says honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so who's Paul talking there who's he talking to he's talking to children he's talking to you guys that, that should make you feel special and look at verse 3 and here we go that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth so the Paul is saying here because you have learned to obey the authority of your parents that he has given them because you have learned to uh, obey and respect authority in general or your, your, not only your parents but your teachers the blessing is that things are just going to go easier for you in life the way of the sinner is hard okay but the way of the one that obeys God it's just easier and then he says and you're going to live long on the earth how long I don't know ever how long he lets you live but forever how long that is you're going to get a blessing and if you just obey things are going to be so much easier on you so now we get to verse 4 and Paul is speaking here specifically to the parents and I realize he starts off in verse 4 he says fathers but guess what moms you're included in this passage too and here's why you got to remember this is in the context of the family remember we started back in Ephesians 5 it said wives and then we went to husbands and then we went to children here and now he's coming back to the father but it's really in the context of the home so he says in verse 4 fathers do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and an instruction of the Lord so what's interesting to me about verse 4 is right here we see both a negative and a positive command within the same sentence I don't know about y'all, when everybody gives me a choice, uh, do you want the bad news or good news first, Donald? I'm always going to you know, choose the bad news first because I'm hoping the good news will kind of you know, make the bad news not so bad. So maybe that's what Paul was thinking here when he says that. But let's look at the negative command first in, ver in the first part of verse 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate or provoke your children. Now, the thing about this verse is, is that when you first read it, we typically think that provoking a child is more related to, like, anger or, or just constantly always being, like, really, really hard on your children, never cutting them any, any slack. But, but anger or being hard on kids, that's just one way to provoke a kid. What about favoritism? Favoritism is a huge way to provoke a kid. Remember the story of Isaac and Rebekah? Remember they had Esau and Jacob? And the Bible's full of these stories about there was favoritism. But remember, you know, Isaac loved Esau because remember Esau was a hunter. He loved to go out and hunt and everything. 
you know, Isaac is probably sitting down thinking like, you know, I mean, I feel like pulled pork tonight, maybe some brisket, you know, and then Esau would go out there and hook it up, you know, and he's always, so that's why he loved, he loved Esau, man, he brought him game to eat, but Jacob, on the other hand, the Bible describes him as more of a mild-mannered young man, he was a dweller in the tents, doesn't mean he was any less than Esau, doesn't mean, it just means he had just different interests, you know, one loved out side you know the other one was probably more like a computer geek you know if you will and, and so but Rebecca loved Jacob so here's the thing about that favoritism though the conflict between the descendants of Esau and Jacob still going on today centuries later so favoritism is just in one other way that we can provoke children but what another way that parents can provoke their children is pushing them to a level of success that is beyond reasonable bounds for them very common thing what about overprotecting overprotecting is another way we can probe and yes there's a fine line between protecting our kids we all want to protect our kids sure i get that but there's a fine line between protecting our kid and allowing them to discover their potential by setting some guidelines and some boundaries that still allow them to discover their gifts and talents and abilities and their, even their passions. So my point is here, so many times as parents, we can provoke our kids without even realizing it. It just happens so slowly sometimes and so subtle though we don't even realize what's going on until the damage is done it's kind of like that illustration of how you boil frog you've all heard that right how you boil a frog first of all i don't even know why you want to boil a frog it's just messed up man i say fry them i'll eat that fried frog amen <laughs> jimbo's like he's from i'm from louisiana if it comes out to buy you and it's a reptile it's fair game <laughs> But just to use that illustration, how you boil a frog. Well, you know, if you, if you put him in hot water, well, he's just going to jump out. He's not gonna, he ain't having it, right? But if you put him in a pan of room temperature water and you slowly, slowly, very subtly turn up that heat, just a little bit at a time, he won't even know what's going on until the damage has been done. And so, parents, we got to be very careful not to provoke our kids so let's look at the positive command of verse 4 the last part of verse 4 says bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord so moms dads I want you to hear my heart on this you need to disciple your children do not leave that up to the church the church is here to reinforce what you should be teaching them at home and living out in front of them in the home but the church is just here to reinforce those structures that you should be practicing in the home with your kids and so it's an easy trap to fall into you know you take them to church and and you drop them off at preschool or children's church or wherever and you hopefully they'll come home and you ask them baby what'd you learn today hey don't let that be the extent of the discipleship with your children don't fall in that trap but when i first got saved i didn't know anything about the bible i mean i literally knew nothing your average fifth grader would have known far more about those old testament stories than i would have known when i first got saved all you know moses abraham noah they all kind of run together for me i just thought they were all old guys with long beards and for all i knew abraham built the ark 
I had no clue what was going on. So maybe it was better in my case to let the kid, you know, the church, the pastor, children, pastor teach my kids because I'd have probably sounded like Medea trying to explain the scriptures, you know, making stuff up as I went along, if you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, it, he's, you know it's, it's our responsibility to disciple our kids and to bring them up in the instructions of the Lord. And so now... We get to verses 5 through 8. I want to read it one more time. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, here in verses 5 through 8, we have a little bit of cultural untangling to do, as I heard one commentator, how he put it. Because, see, when we read in Scripture and we see that word slave, and rightly so, we kind of cringe at the very sound of it. Because it, it, it brings to past or it brings to mind our very shameful past of the modern African slave trade. But I want you to know something here in Scripture. Paul is not condoning slavery here in any way, shape, or form. And the reason why I'm telling you is there would have been those back in the 17 and 1800s that would use this very verse to justify their sinful actions. And back, so this has taken place in back in a time when it was a Greco-Roman period, and it was very common back then to place yourself in slavery in order to maybe buy some land or purchase livestock, or even sometimes even to, to earn the right to marry someone's daughter. Remember back in even centuries before that, uh, this was a common practice. Remember Jacob and Rachel? Remember Jacob? He he entered into slavery to win Rachel's hand in marriage for seven years. And then at the end of the seven years, Laban, Rachel's father, pulls the old bait and switch on him, said, I'm sorry, I should have told you this seven years ago, but you go get Leah, you're getting Rachel. And so he has to go back into slavery for seven more years just to you know, earn her hand in marriage. So this was still a practice that was going on in Greco-Roman period. And see, I'm not suggesting that people in this time period were not uh, brought into slavery against their will because they were. And I'm certainly not suggesting that there was not any mistreatment of slaves because there absolutely was. That's exactly Paul's point in verse 9 that we'll get to in just a minute. But here in verses 5 through 8, Paul was simply referring to the work environment that existed in that day. He's talking about the work relationships that existed in that day in Roman culture. So this is not, this passage is not an affirmation that slavery is okay, but what it is it is an admonishment against disobedience. It's an admonishment against the mistreatment of humankind. And so the word of God just simply states that slavery existed because it was in the culture of that period. So Paul is writing here, and he's saying that the relationship between the slave and the master should look like the relationship between the believer and Jesus Christ. And why is Paul saying that? Because right relationships glorify God and they point others to Jesus Christ. So here in Ephesians, 
Paul is just simply speaking to the church at Ephesus as to the relationship between the slave and master of, as it was present in that culture in that time. So with that said, again, the Bible's not saying that slavery is right. In fact, as you read the Bible as a whole, as you see as you read it and you see commands like love your neighbor as yourself if society will grab a hold of that one then the mistreatment of human beings won't exist amen so now that hopefully we have untangled the slavery language i think the most direct application of this passage is to talk about the work relationship workplace relationship of today because here in Ephesians, that's exactly what Paul is addressing. He's addressing the work relationship that existed in society as he wrote this letter. And so we, as we read these words, we can draw a very close parallel to our employee-employer relationships. And so the question becomes, well, what should that look like? Well, that's what Paul's telling us in verses 5 through 6. Let's read it one more time. Uh, understanding what, we, what we've been talking about. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of what? Heart. Just as you would obey who? Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart he's saying that we should obey and do our jobs with a sincerity of heart not just doing it when the boss is watching so you earn some style points every now and then make yourself look good and he thinks that's all you, the way you work all the time right i mean if i had to put a modern day spin on this first it would be while the cat's away christian mice should never play amen but rather do what's expected of you as you were serving the lord that's the principle here so let's don't run by that. Let's look at it. Verse 7, it says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving who? The Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. He's saying do it with a right heart attitude. Why? Because right relationships glorify God, and they will point other people to Jesus Christ. And more than likely, the people in your workplace, they know you're a Christian, right? They probably do. And they're watching you. So use your relationship with them to plant seeds in their lives. And you just may be leading or having, facilitating your coworkers to Christ. And so look at verse 9, and we'll begin to wrap this up. He says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So God's not impressed with who you are or what's your position. He, he doesn't look down on the one that's of a lesser position. He doesn't look down on the one that's uh, the entry-level position. He doesn't look at him and see him any more than he does the CEO. There's no partiality with God. There's no matter, it doesn't matter what the relationship if it was with the slave or master or with the employee, employer of today. With God, we're all the same under his authority. And Paul is saying right here, there's no hierarchy. There's no cultural difference there's no social economical there's not even any racial preferences here at the cross of calvary 
the whole playing field was leveled at that point. And so verse 9, when it comes to obeying God's word, his authority, there is no favoritism with the boss or employees as far as God's concerned. And I get the fact that some bosses and some people will use uh, intimidation or threatening ways because they think that you know, it'll make you do what they want you to do. I'm sure we've all experienced that at one time or another, but you're all equal. And, and Paul is saying, if you really want to motivate people to do what they want to do, then do it through a right relationship that glorifies God because that's just a fact right relationships glorify God and points others towards Jesus and we got to keep in mind church that when we glorify God when we imitate him as dear children how this whole passage started out then our relationships with others begin to matter and people will see that difference in our our lives the more we're with them they see that and that's what this passage is all about how can we know well, remember back in chapter 5? Chapter 5 started off, submit one to another as to the Lord. Remember that? As we're submitting one to another, guess what? That's going to point people to Jesus Christ. And then it said, wives, be submissive to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives, as you're obeying that, you're going, the harmony in the home will point your family members to Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And as if you're doing that, the harmony that you're going to create in the, in the home will point your kids to Jesus. Children, obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord. And if you will obey your parents, you just may very well be pointing your friends, your classmates, to Jesus Christ. Fathers, don't provoke your children, but disciple them, and they just may lead others to Jesus Christ. Employees, <laughs> obey your employers, do your job, and the way you conduct yourself and carry yourself in the workplace, you just may be pointing co-workers towards Jesus Christ. Bosses, do the same thing, Paul said. What was that? Treat them as to the Lord. And if you'll do that, you just may be pointing many, many in the workplace to Jesus Christ. I'll close with this and begin to bring it full circle. And if you guys don't remember anything that I've said today, I want you to hang on to this as you leave the place today. Right relationships glorify God. And they point others to Jesus Christ and don't underestimate the lifestyle of living obediently to the word of God and it doesn't matter if you're a child wife husband single person employee or boss it doesn't matter don't ever underestimate living a lifestyle that is centered at the cross amen amen Father God, we come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word, God. Lord, we pray, Father God, that as we leave this place today, that we would take the words of Scripture and apply them to our heart, God, so that when people see our lives, God, they see us imitating you, Lord. They see something different in our lives, God, that we begin to love people and see people as you see people, Lord. 
So, Lord, as we go our separate ways today, God, I pray that tomorrow in the workplace or in school or wherever the place that we'll be going, Lord, I pray that you will echo the words of Scripture in our heart, in our minds. God, I pray that you will use our lifestyles, our relationships to point people towards you, Father God. So, Lord, I only pray, Father God, that you would be glorified through our lifestyles. And Lord, I pray, God, that there's just one person here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, God. Lord, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for all things, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.